How many times have you wished your kid came with a manual? When we are unsure as parents, there are so many conflicting opinions that it's overwhelming to know which way is best. Even when we're intentional, situations change, which require us to be flexible and remodel our styles to meet the needs of our families. I created this podcast to share principles and strategies that I have used in counseling and education to help parents prioritize authenticity, connection, and purpose with their kids. Welcome to Remodel Parenting. Welcome back, everyone, to another message in the series on reframing conflict. And this specific episode is on steps for resolution. Um, In the last episode, we really dove into reframing conflict and understanding conflict as separate from fighting and as simply the space where what I see as needing to happen or has happened is not aligning with what someone else has. In families, this can look like between couples or it can look like um, situations between parents and children. And, um, and it's very important that we commit to learning processes to resolve conflict effectively so that we see resolution and changes in our families and don't just feel like we're on a cycle or a merry-go-round of the same issues over and over but also so that we can lay a foundation for our families because conflict resolution is a skill that we teach our children by modeling and we we talk about this in this podcast a lot because modeling and how we do things is the number one way that our children learn how to do things. We can tell our kids things all day long. We can tell them what we expect. We can explain what we want them to do. But if we're doing life in a different way, they're going to follow what they see, not just what we say. So in this episode, I'm going to talk about the steps. I'm going to go through steps for conflict resolution and how to work all the way through conflict. I've got a 10-step model for it. Um, Now, and I'll say not all conflicts need these steps. And sometimes we start in conflict and we say, okay, we're going to do the steps to this. We get into it and we realize, you know what? A lot of the conflict around this has just been about the way we communicate and the way that we're talking about it. And we may be able to solve it a little bit easier or not as many steps as what this provides. And that's okay if you find yourself in those situations. Sometimes that can be a bit of a relief and tell us, hey, this may not be as big of an issue as we've been making it except maybe we've just not been communicating about it well. But this process too can become a really helpful support when you are disciplining kids, especially as they get older. And this would start even as young as grade school, but especially as they get up into teen years and the issues change and your kids' logic changes, their ability to communicate changes, and the way they communicate and what they expect changes, having a method by which you practice and that they can help uh, engage on keeps us all pointed in the same direction so that we stay on the same team. So that it, it remains us against the problem, not me against you. So when we start talking about conflict resolution, I always say there's there's 10 good steps and you have to go through all of them. There are some steps at the beginning and steps at the end that people tend to start skipping once they get better at it. And I highly encourage people not to skip these steps um, just as a matter of practice, but to make sure that you're valuing them for what they bring. For example, the first step in really good conflict resolution is intentionality in the discussion. That means that we have to purposefully determine when and how we're going to talk about whatever the issue is. 
So, for example, if um, if something happens in the moment and we all get really frustrated about it, um, especially like with a child, they uh, come home from school, they've gotten in trouble again, and we're all really frustrated about it, that's probably not a good time to work all the way through conflict resolution. If you have a child who's really struggling to be respectful to their teachers in class or to follow rules in class um, or turn, you know, turn in their homework on time, whatever it is that they're struggling with, if we're all heightened and emotional in the moment, it's not a good time for it. We have to commit to setting the discussion when everyone can come to the table. They can know what we're talking about and what we're trying to solve. And we can come without heightened emotion so that we're all here to work. We're all here as more of as business partners in relationships rather than just friends or connected people or, you know, in other types of relationships and closeness that we might have together, that we're here to solve something. But everyone has to be able to make it to that place. Now, I'll tell you with teens and preteens, sometimes that means they need more space too and they need some more time. And giving them that space and time to be able to do that while requiring follow through to come back to the table is important and really helpful. The second step is to specifically define the problem that needs to be solved. This, again, sounds like one that can be skipped. Like, well, of course we can, you know, define the problem that needs to be solved. You're making bad grades and we need to solve that. Okay, maybe. But when we really specifically define the problem and get it down to um, as narrow as we can, one, it helps, especially for our kids and our teens who are way more concrete in how they think. It helps them know where the discussion is supposed to go, and it helps give them some boundaries and guidelines around what they need to talk about, and also some safety and some security and what all we're not going to talk about. And then as parents, it helps us put guidelines around what we're going to talk about and keep from going off in multiple directions and maybe leading off into other issues or frustrations that we have with them. It keeps us all on topic and puts us on a path to seeing resolution. Step three is to take ownership of how each person has contributed to the problem. If, especially if problems have been ongoing, but even sometimes if it's a new problem, what we know is that there's there's never a situation where there's a big problem in a relationship or a family where only one person is to blame. Now, what I will say is very frequently one person has been the initiating factor or sometimes one person has um, done the big egregious issue. For example, um, like in a couple's relationship, if one person has had an affair it's not equal responsibility that, but well, it's both of your fault that one person had an affair. That's not what we're talking about here. We're not talking about equally sharing blame. But what we're saying is that when there's a big issue, one person may have to take responsibility for the actions, but everyone else involved usually can identify places that they've contributed to the problem. So maybe with a kid who is struggling to really balance disrespect at school, maybe as a parent, we can own the fact that we have um, let loose a little bit on respect because our child is very humorous and funny. And in our home, there's some shared value for humor. And we've let some things go that maybe were disrespectful because we understood the heart of them, but that doesn't translate to a classroom. And so maybe we've created an environment that made respect a little bit less valuable and our kid has missed something on it. So finding the spaces that we can take ownership of the issues that we see helps 
helps from scapegoating one person in our house as the problem because one person's never the problem. Um, the fourth step is to consider past attempts to solve the problem that haven't worked. So you want to take some time to really think through and consider what hasn't worked in this situation in the past. We said, well, you know, if you don't get your homework in or if you don't, uh, if you're not making the grades, then you don't get to do these things. And we've worked through that and we've taken those things away and it still isn't working. We need to know clearly what doesn't work because we don't want to find ourselves in those cycles. The worst thing families can get in in terms of cycles are cycles where we are trying the same thing over and over and thinking that we're going to get different results from them because that will never happen and it only leads us to more and more frustration. Now, I'll... I'll put in at this point that I suggest, and I think it's really helpful sometimes too, when you're setting up these conversations, because this is the point after step four that you shift into creating new solutions. And to do these steps, I very much suggest that everyone is together and in a shared space. Um, I suggest being seated where most people are eye level because it creates a shared space and shared responsibility, even with your kids. So around a dinner table, around on a couch, you know, couches or um, spaces in a living room, but in a shared space and to have one or more person writing and taking notes so that this becomes something that we're working on together. It is something for us to complete and not necessarily just um, gripe sessions or you know, or or talking, um, that we're working on something. Having something to write on is especially helpful for the next skill uh, or the next step that is a skill too. It's brainstorming new solutions. That's the fifth step. When you have a problem that actually needs a solution that's not in existence, you have to take time to consider solutions and alternatives that could work. Now, this is a hard one because brainstorming can be really difficult for people, and um, I'll, I'll briefly talk about it now, but I'm going to break down brainstorming as a skill in the next episode and, um, and help discuss in more in depth what it takes to brainstorm well. But it's important to know that brainstorming solutions means that you give space for creative ideas and, and new ideas without any judgment any condemnation or any stopping the conversation because you immediately squelch creativity at that point. So there has to be space for people to generate ideas and generate solutions without hearing, yeah, no, that's not going to work because whatever reason. We know as people are generating ideas that um, even if ideas are not the most practical or not the ones that you're likely to choose, they can springboard into other ideas that are more practical. So, um, so opening them that space and allowing that sp- there to be space for that uh, can give your family and even you as a couple or you in other situations, leadership situations, situations at work, um, and in various groups that you might lead, it allows for the space for more options. And then that sixth step comes right after that once the brainstorming is closed down, that's when you evaluate the options and you are objective with what may or may not work. You can usually go through first and say, well, we know things that are definitely not going to work, right? Um, and so, so those paired spaces that it's not that you aren't judgmental or you don't... Um, create judgment calls on the solutions, you just fully separate them in steps five and six. Um, 
With step seven, everyone agrees on a solution to try. We determine the solution that is the next solution to try and and what we think may actually work to fit the bill. Now, it seems like that would be the end of it. Okay, well, we've reached a, a solution, and so conflict over, things are done. That's only step seven. There are three more steps after that. This is the other place that I have found in all of my years of working with couples and families that conflict resolution is the most likely to fall apart. It's either on the front side because people don't know how to um, to create good conflict resolution or it's once solutions have been determined and there are no additional steps to follow afterwards. And so step eight is vital in processes for conflict resolution. Once you decide on a solution to try Everyone involved needs to be able to clearly articulate their responsibilities in making it happen. So you have to assign specific responsibilities. Who is in charge of what? Who's And even if that comes down to who's in charge of being held accountable, who's in charge of holding that person accountable? Who's in charge of making sure the homework is done? How? Because if it's okay, well... You're not getting your homework in on time. And so you have to make sure, you know, every day you get to do nothing until your homework is finished and all of it is verified and checked off. Well, then it becomes the question of what happens the first day that um, the parent who's supposed to check it is not around or, you know, or is maybe busy or tied up with something. Or the first few days afterwards, nobody has decided who's the one that's going to check the homework or who's supposed to bring the homework, who's supposed to initiate that process. And then that process can fall apart and create a fight even after we worked through the conflict and decided what was going to happen. Well, every day we're going to check it. So then it becomes who's going to check it Who's going to be responsible for initiating that? How does it get verified? And really working out the solution part of that so that we give ourselves um, a platform to win. Step nine is to reevaluate the process and the new process at a specific time. So it says, hey, we're going to try this. And in a week, we're going to come back and see if this is working. In a month, we're going to come back and see if this is working and schedule a time to do it. We're going to have a roundtable. And maybe that roundtable says, hey, it's working. This is great end of the meeting. But if it's not, it provides everyone to come back to the table and say, let's go back to what we brainstormed. Let's think through again. This isn't working. How do we tweak it to make it work? Okay, this is great. It's kind of working, but only if this parent has been, you know, available, but it seems like it's been difficult to do that. What do we do instead? It might be small tweaks. It might be whole solutions altogether, but it keeps everyone pointed towards a solution and not just towards the problem. The 10th step is celebrating the wins and changes. Again, in conflict resolution and in solving problems, especially with our kids, we frequently look at solving the problems as putting everything back into the status quo and like, good, it's fine now, and we don't have to deal with it anymore. But the truth is, is that making changes for things that are long-lasting conflict take a lot of mental and emotional effort on all of us, and we've got to celebrate that. We have to be able to verbalize and say, hey, I see you doing things differently. I see you handling things differently. I've realized you've done what you've, you said you would do every single day. And this is huge. And that consistency is so important in our family. Being able to put those words out there and to let the people in your system know that you see how they're contributing to wins. And that creates those bonds and connections. So those are 10 steps. And they are pretty practical and pretty clear. 
Um, but they really do work to help people think all the way through conflict and issues and create the solutions that are going to give them steps for the future. Now, within that, there are some things that can get in the way too. We always talk about the things that get in the way, right? So um, in the next episode, I'm going to talk about some skills that really help support these processes and things that you can build and do to help um, provide the space in your life and in your mind and in your family to make these steps happen and to see them through every time. And we can help uh, our kids start to build those skills too, that again, are is going to promote our children and ourselves to create what's a new normal in our lives. Um, A new normal for how we handle things not going quite right and how we create solutions for them instead of just feeling like we're trapped in, um, in family and relational situations that aren't benefiting us or anyone else, but with no real way uh, to make changes. So tune in for the next episode to hear about those skills that are going to support these steps. And thanks for being with us today. Thank you for listening to Remodel Parenting. If this has been helpful for you, share it with a friend and subscribe to the podcast so you won't miss our weekly episodes. You can visit theremodelproject.com to sign up for our email list and follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter.